This is a strategist episode 990. My name is Zane Velger. With me, as always, Corey Hogan, Stephen Carter. Guys, what is up? Look at that. Look at that. Look at that entry. What is up? Corey, what's going on? What is up? It is debate night in Ontario. That's why you're cranky. You had to watch the whole Ontario debate. Yeah, it was so bad. Corey, of course, was our resident debate watcher, and he was. was I watched watched it too. Carter watched watched it. it. Well, excellent. Carter was our resident debate watcher as well, backing up Corey. Uh, uh, I'm so glad. Thank you for your service. Thank you for your service (laughs) to both of you. Let me tell you something. And I I think this is going to be a great episode because we can come in with the heat of three people who have not watched nor cared about the Ontario election, but then tuned in at the last minute. I think we have an awful lot to offer to the conversation out there. It's going to be <laughs> well, really I, I, great. Listen, there's, there's uh, ignorance is bliss. And the fact that we give our hot takes on something we haven't followed. By the way, uh, spoiler alert, Carter, you've probably realized this. Nothing going on in the Ontario election. Uh, a, to- no. a total miss. A total yeah. miss all across the board. Yeah, I think but, that the polls have moved like two points or something. I don't understand. But do you know what? where there is something going on, Stephen Carter? It's a Maharaja Banquet Hall in Edmonton. Carter, that is that is where Ooh. things go on all the time. Now, did you want to did you want to give this another go to the audience about what's happening on May? What is it, Carter? Is it the 18th? No, it's the, it's the 19th. 19th. Don't the fall Maharaja into that Banquet trap. Hall. Don't yeah. fall into that trap. I mean, I'm told that people have looked at the ballots already. Now they have not counted the ballots, but they have verified the ballots. And this, I got to tell you, Every day we get closer to this actual event, I am getting more and more excited, more and more excited for the 19th of May, the live show from the Strategist podcast at the Maharaja Hall in Edmonton, Alberta, for only $30. It's unbelievable. (laughs) You can get your tickets at www dot the strategists dot ca. You can get a pillow at the same time. We are. Really pushing the merch Keep sales track, because Carter. we're selling Keep out. Keep on track, but Carter. Buy your tickets. Focus, focus on where the profit margins left. Focus very, on where the profit margins. Oh yeah, we don't make any money on the merch. So yeah, <laughs> do buy the tickets to the live show. The live show is very important to us. But we also have the opportunity to do a contest, guys. So someone has already purchased tickets, and they gave them back to us because they can't come now. I don't know why they don't just say fuck it and just, you know, give the $62 to us. But it doesn't matter. They, they've decided not to come to the event and they've given us the tickets and they've asked us to do some sort of a giveaway. So I think what we need to do is we need to give away two tickets, not more than two tickets, because we're not comping the shit out of this show. This show is a paid pay to play type of thing. But we have someone who paid for two tickets who can't use them. So we will give away two tickets to the person whose tweet we deem to be the best tweet about the Ontario debate tonight uh, and our takes about the Ontario debate. So you have to tell us which one of Corey or I had the best take, or Zane. Zane could have the best take. It could happen. But most likely Corey or I. <laughs> and, uh, and then you have to craft something witty. And we expect a lot out of your, our audience. And we expect really for you to craft this. It's a $30 value, right? 60 for two tickets. So we expect you to spend at least three hours working on it because your labor is only worth about 20 bucks an hour to us. It's above minimum wage. So <laughs> you want me to keep going? Yes. Speaking of three <laughs> hours having passed. Time. Jesus Christ. <laughs> you guys said I had 20 minutes at the beginning. I said to... 20 seconds. It's called a 20 second elevator oh, pitch on I, the show. I, <laughs> I, mis- I misheard that. 
Uh, Corey, that was on wanna, me. Do you want to clean up Carter's mess again? That was uh, that was my bad. My bad. Sorry, guys. Uh, I, I, I sure we'll do his contest. Just tweet. You know, maybe just any tweet. Apparently, Carter. No hashtag. Not at the strategist pod. Strategist pod. Nothing like that. <laughs> they have just, them just tweet, tweet it at the strategist pod. I mean. And okay, it has to mention you or I. Maybe, even maybe for... tell them that. Maybe tell them that, Carter. <laughs> I said it right up front. I said that right up front. Don't want to do a QI quality play improvement the tape live back. on air. But... Play the tape back. Play it back. Oh, You've got uh, the little yeah. wizardry yeah. thing on the bo- board now. It's very good. Uh, what, so have you, thank you, what have you, you, what have you got plan- you planned on the board today? You got anything on the board? Uh, yeah, I got one thing. Do you want to hear it right now? Yeah, let's play it right now. Yeah, okay. Low, he was out you know you can tell a strategist from a non-strategist, Allison? Mm-mm. If they're on TV talking about the campaign, they're not a strategist. <laughs> <laughs> what if they're on a podcast? <laughs> oh, then there has been. <laughs> Let me tell oh. you something, Dave. Is that David Hurley? I can't tell because he's so fucking annoying. Carter, Carter, is, that, is, is that who he is? Because... Let me tell you something, David fucking Hurley, naming the podcast after yourself. How fucking arrogant. How arrogant to name a podcast after yourself. We said we were the strategists because that's what we did. That's what we do. In fact, that's what we're doing right now. Who won an award? I won an award. Fuck you, David Hurley. Fuck the curse of politics. You know, you spun off your own show because your first show sucked. Fuck off. Oh, hey, Scott. Big fan. Um, Jesus Yeah, Christ Scott's pretty Carter. good. Scott's uh, pretty good. Jesus Christ, Carter. That what did I do? Came in, came in oh a little God. hot there, but Corey, do you want to clean up Carter's mess again? <laughs> oh, man. Um, Looking forward to kind of the crossover episode that will someday That organize. will someday now not never happen. <laughs> June 2nd in Toronto. Oh, I'm booking the live show. Very good. Let's Very move it good. on to our first segment. Our first segment, defeating Dummery. Guys, there's so much to talk about uh, in, in relation to the Ontario election. And I know you guys have watched tonight's debate, but maybe let's talk about a few themes related to the to the current cadence of the election that I find fascinating. And and that did have a a through line in today's debate. And one of which that I'd love to discuss with you guys is this campaign, this this three-way race, one might call it, between Doug Ford, Andrew Horvath, Stephen Del Duca, uh, PC leader, NDP leader, um, liberal leader, uh, in that order. It's been interesting to watch because Doug Ford and the way he behaves. And Carter, I want to start here, which is everyone knew what they were getting with Doug Ford in this election. His, you know, Ford Nation... Uh, you know, almost hokey, cliched, cheesy, uh, kind of like, you know, dumbfounded at every turn sort of person. And it's seemingly interesting that the policy heavy liberals and the let's move this forward in a progressive direction NDP are not able to penetrate this oh shucks, oh hum sort of like persona and personality. And we saw it in the debate tonight. But before we go into the specifics of tonight, comments on what you're seeing and how in the most Doug Ford ways uh, that we've seen, he is so impenetrable, Carter. Talk to me about that, and let's talk about the strategy of, of how you combat that a bit, because I think it's really interesting. Well, ideas will not defeat uh, theater, right, and story, right? So 
Doug Ford is walking theater, right? He's got all of Aristotle, Aristotle's elements of theater right in him. I mean, the man is walking spectacle. He, he knows how to speak. He's got a particular cadence to the way he speaks. His language is like a song, the way he speaks about it. Now, it's not a good song, but not all theater needs to be good theater, right? Some theater is going to be fantastic. Other theater is going to be forever plaid. And that's okay. Sometimes you want to just go and see the theater that's, you know, easy and accessible. Doug Ford is an easy, accessible politician with a story that is simple. And he repeats his story over and over and over and over again ad nauseum because he knows that the short, simple story that he's telling, people like to hear. I mean, if you've, if you've got kids, you've read to your kids. And when you read to those kids, they want to hear the same story every single night. Well, Doug Ford is our premier daddy, and he's reading us the same bedtime story. No, you don't like premier no. daddy. <laughs> Cody, off to a great I thought start. you'd like. I thought you'd like premier daddy. But he reads the same story, and Stephen, you know, Del Duca is coming in there, and he's got ideas, and he's got, and he's got no personality though. He doesn't have character. He doesn't have inter. You know, there's no passion behind the man. It's not like Doug Ford, by the way, has this great level of passion. But, you know, compared to him, like Del Duca is like dead, dead, dead. It's, it's bad. Um, so would you rather listen to the guy who's telling you about all these great ideas or would you rather have them woven together in a story? And we've talked about this in relation to Alberta politics quite frequently. If you have a story, people will understand your message better. They will understand your ideas better. And Ford has a story, the other two don't. And Horvath, oh my God, I mean, she doesn't have any of the elements of story, you know, of story or, or well, storytelling. We'll, we'll get to the debate in a second, what we saw on that stage. Corey, you know, what's interesting about this race is that the polling has been pretty consistent. If anything, Ford's lead has grown by a point or two. And the progressive primary that many have been calling between the liberals and the NDP hasn't really had a clear winner. It's not like the vote co uh, coalescing is happening, at least as related to the polls. But I want to go back to the same fundamental question I asked Carter, which is how do you defeat a guy that kind of just gets away with it, that just everything rolls off his back and he's able to do it in this, I wouldn't even say charismatic, but this ho-hum, oh shuck sort of way. Uh, what do you kind of see happening here? And, and I want to get into the strategy of how we contend against something like that. Yeah, I mean, how do you defeat a guy like this? Uh, it, it started to feel a lot like the liberals and the NDP just, just won't. Uh, mm. There has been perhaps a bit of a tightening of the polls that some pollsters have seen, but you're right. It's fundamentally the same election. There's not a lot of change. We're now into this thing for a bit and people people aren't really tuning in. It's actually fairly difficult if you're not in Ontario to find coverage of the Ontario election. Good point. Yeah. And um, that's not always the case, right? As much as we make fun of y'all for being the center of the universe, the reality is often it's much more of a show. It's something that the rest of us are tracking more than it is right now. Yeah. It really just does not feel like there's any kind of burning platform. There's no desire or case for change out there. The COVID-19. Um, pandemic and the response to it wasn't perfect, but it wasn't perfect anywhere. Uh, people have managed to turn the page on that by and large mentally, even if the, if the disease is still here with us. And it just doesn't feel like any of these hits are sticking. It's, uh, it's one of those things that it feels like people are searching for the issue that's going to bring Doug Ford down. And I, I, they can all read polls. They all know affordability and housing are super mm -hmm. high on that list. We'll talk about it during the debate, but but boy, did they find ways to shoehorn in uh, the idea of a home ownership into like all sorts of wild issues. Yeah. But it's just, it's not, it doesn't, it feels like it's slipping in the mud. It doesn't feel like it's really getting there. 
And part of it is uh, there's something about Doug Ford's personality that, while not impressive, is not deeply offensive. Now, I know a lot of people will disagree, but I think I think really you've got your partisan blinders on. And let me give you analysis from a few provinces over here. He seems fine. He seems like the boss of the company you worked at that was pretty good, but never going to be a Fortune 500. You didn't really worry the next paycheck was going to clear or not, but you didn't fucking think you deserved the Nobel Prize. This is the vibe that Doug Ford carries out here. And I think some of the attacks that they they throw at him, their passion on these issues and their wonkishness, it just it hits him and it falls because he's just not that guy to have that conversation. And and to use that boss metaphor again. It's like if somebody came into his his business and said, you could be changing all of these things. You could yeah. move your advertising online. You know, you could buy another truck through this lease and it's cheaper and all of that. And he's just like, yeah, I know. But like, it's working. And, and I, don't, I don't really want to mess with yeah. it. And this is the energy he brings to all of this. Uh, and boy, I got a lot to say about that debate. But I feel like if I say any more and give any more examples, no, I'll, I, be for I'll, the debate. I'll, I'll let you I'll let you get in there, Corey. But I, I, I really value what you said here with not impressive, not offensive. And I think, Carter, uh, to round this out before we jump into the debate itself, there's something to be said about like our models of leadership that this does question against, right? Because you see the other two parties trying to compete with, well, you, you'd see that they, they would argue in a partisan way that they would say that they're competing with impressive. I don't think anyone dispassionately is saying that Del Duca or Horvath aren't necessarily impressive, but they're certainly trying to pick up with intellectual perhaps even earnest, perhaps even more aligned with people's interests and views. And none of those things, the cocktail of things I just mentioned, Carter, are able to beat this person who's not offensive nor very impressive in that sense. And I find that a fascinating case study in what we call, quote unquote, leadership in that sense. Well, he reminds me so much of Klein. And and one of the reasons, I mean, talk about not impressive. I mean, Ralph Klein is a not impressive, <laughs> was a not impressive person. He He was. I mean, he was, he was a, he a kind of, a, he, he knew how to he do was a things. mess of a human being. He really was. He was a mess of a human being. And we can get into that later at some other point, but he, he was a mess and, but he had a couple of really great things going for him. And the great things that he had going for him is that when he made a mistake, he said he was sorry. And he had his finger on the pulse of who he called Martha and Henry and Martha and Henry were, you know, just the average person getting through life. And I think that Doug Ford really has his fingers on the, the pulse of those people. I don't think that, you know, Stephen Del Duca or, or Andrea Horvath have this sense of, you know, being connected to people, right? I mean, and again, I don't want to get too far into the debate, but through, through every piece of it, you just see them as, as different than you. And there's a ton of science into, the, into us wanting to vote for someone to represent us who is like us. And that like us piece can be in a million different ways. It does, it used to mean, you know, like us, the you know, white male, but it also means like us, something we can see in our, we see in ourselves because he's getting elected by more than just white males. I'll tell you that. Corey, you wanted to jump in here before we move on to the debate? Yeah. One of the other problems I think that the NDP and the liberals have, despite the fact that they're constantly keeping each other in check and making it difficult for each other to break away. And certainly yeah. my sense is the Ontario PCs are doing whatever they can to keep those scales balanced. We talked a little bit about that. Is that I find this is generally a disease of oppositions, but they they have no ability to calibrate, right? Everything is an outrage that Doug Ford mm. does. Everything is an outrage and then nothing's an outrage as a result. There's this old 
political cliche voters go back to all of the time. I fucking hate it. You know, it's just like the, I want you to say something nice about your opponent right here on the stage. And then everyone in the crowd sort of claps because, yeah, we want we want to see that you're doing something nice. I hate it. I just hate it. I mean, what what a waste of debate time. Like, let's yeah. talk about contrast, not not things about like, well, they seem to really love their kids because they also all play this game where they try to say something that's kind of like a backhanded compliment. Like, I love how the time he got that DUI, he didn't skip bail, you know, like those <laughs> kinds of compliments. <laughs> but um, but there is something to when everything that the man does is outrageous it makes it hard to actually calibrate what's the real outrage when everything he says is accused of being a lie it makes it hard to identify the real lies and uh i really felt that during the debate there's not a single thing that that doug ford said that they did not swing at and i think that's a lesson that other political parties watching should be very careful about because if you swing at everything if everything's an outrage if everything's a lie the public will start to tune you out a bit. They'll just say, well, they say that about everything. So, I mean, maybe this highway is fine. Maybe he's actually created all of these jobs. I don't know. They're saying he lies about everything. And I know that one wasn't that much of a lie. So you got to watch out. You think, Carter, let's jump into the debate here. Did you think it was a microcosm of how the NDP and the liberals have been running their race to Corey's point here, that they're taking big swings at anything, which allows Ford to kind of moderate and just keep the bar low. And as long as it isn't as crazy as they say, he just, you know, hops right over it. And in addition to that, it doesn't center a focal point of your attack, either on an issue or an item, to Corey's point. Did you see the microcosm of the campaign play out today on the debate stage? Let's get into that analysis. I saw two opposition leaders contesting the role of being the opposition leader. Yeah. Neither one of them were contesting the role of becoming the premier. And and why and is that because they attacked each other during that conversation? If oh, strictly no, or no, atta- was it or was it more than that, Carter? You can attack anybody you want to attack, but uh, you know, Del Del Duca jumped on every fucking grenade. Like he was <laughs> he was out of control. I mean, you could hear him like mumbling away and talking about all the lies during other people's debate periods, right? Like, what are you talking about, man? Like stop give them a moment. Let Doug Ford, if he's such a bad guy, let him at least dig his own grave. Um, you know, but he's he's jumping on everything and he's 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 not letting Andrea Horvath speak, which is just the worst thing you can do. Um, you know, you have to uh, afford an opportunity for everybody to, to, to be able to speak. And, you know, he looks like such an asshole. And how do you do that? He was he was and everything was contested. Every single utterance. Right. Well, I breathe oxygen. No, you don't. There's like 75% nitrogen in there, you dickhead. (laughs) You know, like, fuck, just calm down. Like, not everything needs to be contested. Figure out your important points and look like a fucking premier. Neither one of them did. Neither one of them looked like they were even interested in the premier's job. Corey, give me your top line. There's so much to that. I mean, the sanctimony from everybody besides Ford, and even Ford to an extent, but mostly the others, was so over the top. And that can work, actually, if the government is just absolutely floundering and that's the feeling of the public more generally, right? Mm -hmm. They just want to take a round out of the fellow. But if that's not the vibe and that's not the energy out there in the province, then it actually has quite an off-putting effect because it just starts to be like, let the guy talk, right? Like, holy fuck, the crosstalk in that debate was just wild in the first half. It was, I mean, the moderators looked like they were ready to start 
flipping tables and punching people. And I don't, I don't blame them. It was one of those things where we started to, to yearn for the return of the sad trombone. And I, I think, um, I think it did none of them any favors, but the person that helped the most was Doug Ford because he seemed so his veneer cracked a couple of times, but he seemed kind of like calm and affable and like, well, shucks. And you know, that whole persona we were talking about yeah, yeah. just seemed quite steady relative to histrionics across the board and different flavors of histrionics, by the way. Um, they, they were each such interesting little models of angry opposition uh, leaders. And I just don't know that any of them are going to work. Carter, how would you have prepared if Del Duca was your guy, the guy that many think is is now um, marginally, but certainly, uh, according to some recent polls, outpacing the NDP, uh, you know, it's going to be a gain for his party. This guy's might be the closest uh, competitor to Ford in terms of securing the premiership. Let's say you're working for the Liberals, Carter. What would you have told Del Duca tonight uh, as, as strategic advice heading into this debate? Would you have told him, pick your spots, only swing at those? He's already started to give some advice in regards to allowing Andrew Horvat to speak and the impression that that would give. But what additional advice would you have given him playing a bit of, you know, Monday evening quarterback, so to speak? Number one, you're only, you're only, you're only wrestling with the Premier. You're not wrestling with the Greens. You're not wrestling with the NDs. Just leave them alone. Um, number two, uh, no repeats on your stories, right? Like how many times did we hear about his daughters? I mean, it made it sound like the only reason he's running is to get his daughters a better fucking school system. Like, like come up with a few other anecdotes that represent how other mm. people are feeling, how others put your focus on other people's families. Other people's families matter. Your daughters don't. Right. I mean, it's well, just not can, something can I, that matters. Can I pick up on that, Carter? I, I, and this is such a micro point, but in the political storytelling, we talk about, you know, we see this in State of the Union speeches. We see this in debates. We see this in, you know, just last week I was in the rural area of whatever and I ran oh, into John. I ran into Phil. I yeah, ran into Phil, Phil came up to and me. Phil told Phil me. Phil told me a story. Well, does that work better than my daughters? Like, or, or no, my family? Both of them suck. <laughs> both of them suck. Phil came up to me. This is the first time I've ever heard of the fucking Phil, issue. Was when Phil, Phil came up to me. You've done this before. You've 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 scripted a a former premier. You've scripted a, a mayor with these sort of lines. N never done those types of lines. Never cool. did the uh. someone came up to me line. Always said, you know, the reason I ran, the reason I ran is because I wanted to make a difference with the school system. The, there are three reasons why I chose to become the leader of the Ontario Liberal Party, Zane. I'm really glad I got the opportunity to discuss it with you today. Number one, our education system. Number two, our economy. Number three, our healthcare system. You know what the amazing thing is? All three of them are linked. If we take care of ourselves and our friends and our families through the healthcare system, if we have a great education system, then you know what? We have an, uh, we have an economy that can lift the, the entire country of Canada. Whatever. I don't know. I made that up. No, no, that's but, pretty good. But this, <clears throat> these are the things that you need to do. You don't say, well, I was walking down the street and Bob came over to me and Bob mentioned that he's handicapped. And holy shit, we treat the handicapped people like shit. You wouldn't even fucking believe it. So now that I know about this fucking issue, I'm coming up here to the microphone, eh? And I've got the fucking microphone. I'm going to ask this. I'm going to say, hey, guys, did you guys know about fucking Bob? Did you know about Bob? Because Bob is fucked. He's fucked, eh? He's like, Bob is fucking handicapped. And you know what? We don't do enough. We don't do enough. Who is you this don't... character? I don't know. I don't know. He happened. Yeah. These things happened to me. Oh, my God. I was like, your first answer was so good that I thought, 
who's scripted by a professional like like Hurley. And then this, I don't know what this oh. is. <laughs> I don't know what this was. <laughs> this this was very weird. It was like experimental. No, I mean, but you it, don't it just be, discover could... the fucking issue because someone came up yeah. to you. I'm into okay. it. I like uh, I like that guy. Good. Correct. Correct. What what advice would you have given Del Duca today? So Carter, you had some good pieces of advice there, right? First there was one, good stuff yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. O- only the premiere. Secondly, <laughs> n- not not a big swing on everything. What was what was your other thing? Just the remind. The third me. one was only pick three issues. Those three issues are the ones that matter. Don't hit. Don't try and hit every one. And bring like Corey mentioned, her affordability came into a bunch of different answers. Yeah, like a I would have said, it's about affordability. It's about families and it's about the economy. I don't know, whatever the polling is, um, but make it about three things. Don't try and answer everything. And then you can build an answer about education around the economy, right? As Doug Ford did, by the way, we're going to make sure that the education that these kids get is the education they need for the economic opportunities that we've created. Hogan, what would you say uh, in addition to that? Like, it could be anything from the scripted lines to the pugilism, when you fight, who you fight with, what you say. Anything else to add to what advice you would have given Del Duca if you could do it again after you saw it today? Yeah, I, so Carter has made some good points here. I think one of them that's tied to it is this idea of focus, right? Um, yeah. Message discipline is not called message discipline because it's easy. It requires you not to swing at certain things. It requires you to turn all of your answers into the things that actually change people's mind and make them more likely to vote for you. And this really did feel like the kitchen sink to opposition. We've mentioned that in a couple of different contexts now. The other thing that I think Del Del Duca really struggled with in my eyes is who the fuck are you? And I don't mean that as like a human being, but who's the character that I'm seeing right here? Who's the guy you're trying to be? Is it, is it kind of the calm? I just did this for my kids. And I agree. Mm -hmm. I think talking about, yeah. And I would just hate to be his kids there. Like, I think kids deserve a certain amount of privacy uh, if they're, if their parent is in politics to begin with. But uh, is it that guy or is it the guy who can't stop interrupting everybody just to say that they're wrong or like, who's your, who's the character you're trying to be? Cause it felt really ping pongy. And as a result, certain things felt really staged or really over the top. And there was one moment in particular in the debate uh, that I think about where he he threw this just really angry charge at Ford. And the funny thing is, I can't remember the charge. It's probably in my notes here somewhere. But it was just like delivered with this. He thought this was the line. And this is the Mm. line that he wanted people to clip and the silence after it. But it was delivered in such an over the top fashion that I was actually stuck sitting there being like, Wow, that felt like it came out of nowhere, uh, right? Rather than the actual subject and content of the line. So I felt that there was this strange perpetual mismatch between what he was saying and the various characters he was taking on at different points. I I, I think his base character and who he is is a guy who's just kind of peevish about all of these things, yeah, right? Yeah. But at certain times, he tried to be the dad. At certain times, he tried to be the outraged crusader. And Quite- it didn't work for me. This is interesting. I'm going to keep it with you, Corey. How important is it when you are such an unknown to choose a conventional template to like fit into one of those holes? Like, I'm kind of hearing you say that this guy, like, here's a here's a more charitable way to say what you said. This guy had too much texture. He had he was like playing one version of this, and then he had like this different note that he could hit, and then he could swing this. Like, he was doing a lot of different things. But like, yeah. how important is it to like fit into one of the conventional? Okay, I get it right away. Molds. It's uh, not when about- people don't know you. It's not about that. It's about discipline still, mm. right? Like, so the people are, if they, so there were a lot of people noting afterwards that on Google trends, the searches for him, Del Duca went way up, 
as a sure. result. They sure. were seeing this as an evidence he won. I don't know. I mean, another read is who the fuck is this guy, right? Uh, yeah. And it's not great if people don't know who your name is when you're going into an you're at this point in an election. Though I do take the point that it's interesting that people are trying to react and respond to you. But what I'm saying is just as there's a way to be disciplined on message, there's a way to be disciplined on persona. And ultimately, what he came off as was a guy with 100 issues and five personalities. And what I needed to see was three mm. issues in one personality. And I needed to be brought back to that to understand yep. who the liberals are. And he had a couple of lines in the can that were okay. Like, we're not fighting the 2018 election here, Andrea, right? That's okay line because the NDP did keep bringing it back to his time when he was uh, you know, with the liberals in the government. But um, then he himself kept defending these records and going back and, and trying yeah, to talk yeah. about he, these he, cherry picking. So I don't know. Like Carter, he's, he's just got to pick a lane. Carter, react to 100 issues, five different personalities. Is that he's, how you saw it? He's exactly right. I mean, he 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 was all over the place. No one, he, he, you know, he, he didn't have a through line. Um, I didn't understand who he was better at the end of the debate than I did at the beginning of the debate. He is bland, white toast, and that's not what you want your premier to look like. So, you know, he has to be a character and give us a reason to root for him. Um, like, I can't, I, how many times have I talked about story and character and, you know, making sure that we can see others, people, other people in the story. He uh -huh. always brought it back to him and his family. And he never really brought, he never really brought us into his drama. And with that, I just felt like I wanted to like him, by the way, like I really wanted to like him because I really don't want to like Doug Ford. And every time these guys let us down um, and, and leave Doug Ford out there as, you know, kind of untouched as they do, like he, Ford got stronger today. I don't know if he won the election today. I don't know if he'll even be called the, the winner of the debate by the, whoever judges these things. But Ford got stronger today because he didn't get hurt. Yeah. Uh, Corey, jump on this and then and, and dovetail with, with, with some comments on Horvath and what you saw with her performance tonight. Yeah. Uh, in some ways, this is true of any election, but it's a casting call. It's who do you want to play the role of premier for the next four years, which is why story matters. It's why character matters. And it's OK to be an unconventional choice, right? Where somebody says, oh, that would be a very interesting choice for the character of Batman or, or mm -hmm. whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Right. You can break the mold and that can be very effective. You can win awards that way to continue the metaphor. Right. But the character that uh, he was playing was ultimately a bit unappealing. Uh, Spencer from our kind of Patreon uh, discord was saying that he looks like Bill Hader doing an impression of Lex Luthor and fuck it, that doesn't <laughs> really. That's actually really funny. <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah, I just, just land. Okay. Right? Oh, oh, that's but, funny. very funny. But uh, then there's the other characters that were there and who are they trying to be? And I worry that after four elections, Andrea Horvath is too comfortable with the opposition leader role, right? Doesn't seem to be running for premier. Most yeah. of her attacks really seem to be against uh, Del Duca again, right? Talking about the the liberal record there. It was such a strange debate because if you're watching it with, I, and you know, my, my knowledge of Ontario politics is below an Ontario politicos, but it's probably mm -hmm. in line with the average Ontarian. It was just so funny to watch when somebody is observing, uh, you, you've got this moment where all of a sudden, uh, you know, Horvath is attacking Del Duca for the liberal record. And then all of a sudden Ford is attacking 
Horvath for supporting the Del Duca liberals. And, you know, it was just like, who, who gives a shit too? It was all last election. But really great evidence that uh, practice does not always make perfect, because I think the more time she's in that role, the less she knows how to escape the role of opposition. Carter, what are, you, what are your thoughts on Horvath and what you saw today? Either, either I from... Yeah, go ahead. You're, you've got something to say. I can't believe she's been the leader that long. Mm. I mean, she's not good. She's not a good politician. She might be a great person, um, but she's not a good politician. She certainly did not um, do well in the debate. Um, you know, she would. She had lines that she, I know she wanted to get in because she used them two, three, four times, trying to get them all into the into the debate. She leaves me with less of an impression. And, and frankly, I can't remember the the leader's name for the Green Party. Corey. Um, oh yeah, um, um, Mike Schreiner. Schreiner. Yeah, yeah, I mean Schreiner sounded more like a new Democratic leader than she did. Um, you know, he really articulated why he was doing things, and I mean they had the. Uh, you know the, the people line. He was he was all in there. I mean, he, th- this was the the most left Green Party I think I've ever seen, and it really left no space for Andrea Horvath to to shine. Not that she seemed the least bit interested in shining. She really was auditioning for the role that she currently has, and that's leader of the opposition. Carter, what would you have advised her today specifically around um, the pugilism? And the fight, you know, and, and I think there's something to be said here with maybe this debate, certainly, but with debates overall, where, where if you are one of the opposition parties or you currently aren't the incumbent, you have the dynamics of you're down in the polls. You probably know from a campaign perspective, you need a big moment. So you can't just do tidy, you know, fringe festival monologues to the screen and just, you know, wait for your next turn. You need to get in it. Um, how do you kind of break through? What advice would you have given to to Horvat today on breaking through? Would it have been to you know a would it have been to get into the mix more? Would it have been to just wait your shot? We we're giving you one or two really good lines, and you get those in, and that's all that matters. That's the entire judgment of the debate. What would you have told her in terms of you know? Listen, you're third place. You may even lose opposition later. What advice would you have given her today as she were to take that stage, Carter? Um. I think I probably would have asked her to take one or one issue and really own it. Let's make housing affordability or affordability in general, um, and then link that issue to education, healthcare, and other things. I would have really guided her away from you'll be able to use your Ontario health card, not your credit cards type of shit. No one wins in a, in a, a debate by having those types of canned lines. They win the debate by being someone that people can relate to. And that was her great weakness is that she did not, you know, she was trying to, you know, score a knockout punch in, in, in something where you don't actually hit the other guy. So stop, just try and be yourself, try and be stronger. Give your voters a reason to vote for you. Give the people who voted for you last time a reason to come back. Um, because I'm not, I'm not sure what is, <laughs> What what is it she's trying to be or who she's trying to what she's trying to impress us with? Because nothing impressed me today with her. Corey, I want to move it on to Ford for a second. And you know, in the lead up to this debate, one of the the loudest conversations in this election was not about affordability, was not about these highways, although that certainly has featured. It was about binders, Corey. It was mm-hmm. about binders. It was the fact that Doug Ford would purposely break the rule bring his binder to a debate. And the other leaders were showboating prior to saying, listen, 
I'll show up today and I'll show up without a binder. And <laughs> Doug Ford literally showed up with his binder, with his notes. If you haven't been following, uh, leaders were trying to dunk on each other for who would or would not bring binders full of notes and, and key messages. And the other leaders were trying to ultimately indicate, look at this guy. He doesn't know anything. He needs a binder on stage to remember his own policies, to defend his own record, to paint his own vision for the province. What did you think of that, Corey, both from a, an attack and, 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 and what that could mean from the conversation perspective, and then also what we saw with Doug Ford today, indeed, bringing his binder. And then we'll get into the substance of, of the Ford dynamic today after that. Yeah. So what's the charge, really, when you get down to it? He, he brought a binder. Are they saying that he's too stupid? Are they saying that he is controlled by his his team? Feels to me that they're saying he's too stupid to capture yeah, these things. I and that's the so. subtext I think a lot of people would read into it. Do they really think that's a particularly compelling argument? How many people do you think watching in the province of Ontario have gone to major meetings themselves with their boss, maybe with a board or whatnot, and brought notes? Who gives a shit? It's not a pop quiz. It's not who can cram the most and who can throw out the most statistics. This is 2022, for fuck's sake. We can look up everything in the goddamn world in 30 seconds on our phone. Why do I need to keep that trivia in my brain if I'm the premier of Alberta? When you think about the charges that they had related to the binder, I think this speaks to a fundamental challenge. They just dislike him. So they're willing to knock him down and they try to take him down mm. a peg. But are they actually thinking about the accusation they're making? And are they actually thinking about how that accusation may land with swing voters? The binder thing would have been fine if it were a candidate that you like was broadly suggested that wasn't actually in command was actually, you know, mm. Stephen Carter was actually running the show. Stephen Carter was putting every thought into his brain, right? Then, yeah, maybe the binder and look, you can see that you can see the strings on Doug Ford. You can see the hand up Doug Ford's back, but that's, that's not actually in itself even enough. You've got to explain why that's not good for the good people of Ontario. You've got to make a charge that actually changes the way I think about that government or not. And and I think that's that was what was so lacking about that. And it is one of those petty distractions that comes when they really dislike somebody, when they start to believe their own press, mm. when they hate them too much to actually get focus and perspective on these things. Because, yeah, it's easy to, to be shitty about that kind of stuff. And, yeah, maybe even he shouldn't be breaking those rules. But what's your charge? Why is your charge? And is it actually going to change a single vote in the province of Ontario? Carter, yeah, you're shaking your head. Do you want to jump in on this binder talk uh, and, and, and talk about, you know, Doug Ford bringing a binder? And more specifically, to Corey's point, like what the opposition were going for in terms of trying to flex that they wouldn't uh, and uh, in, in, in advance of this debate? Well, I was just going to say, I, I hope there's politicians in Alberta listening to this because there's a number of things that we've been talking about that are lacking in all our Alberta politics as well. But this is another classic case of politicians trying to win the day by taking a simple attack on someone and missing the broader picture. Oh, I'm going to make it sound like he's dumb. Well, okay, if he's dumb, but he performs well, like, what is it? What is it you're trying to suggest? I mean, this is a dumb guy who did a good job and beat me. Because that's what <laughs> that's what that's what came out. Like fuck, guys. He, he, this is he can't be the premier because he brought a binder. A dumb you guy know? reading beats a smart person memorizing. Is that is that? Ultimately... I don't understand what they're trying to get across. I mean, 
Oh, if he's going to bring a binder, I'm going to bring a binder too, because it makes it easier and I can get more of my statistics across or whatever. But this playing of a game, this momentary, I won, look at, I won because I attacked him on something. You didn't win. You lost track of what's important. You're trying to become the premier. You're not trying to become the gotcha guy. Gotcha guy doesn't become premier. You're not trying to win Mm. Jeopardy. You're not trying to keep it all in your head. Can I tell you something about being the premier of any province? get a lot of fucking binders. You get binders on binders on binders that are full of all of the facts that you need when you're in a cabinet meeting and you've got to determine whether this is the proper course of action or not. You've got briefings on those binders ahead of time. The irony here is the actual role is a pretty binder heavy role, which I know is not the point here. And I'm not sure that's how the public would perceive it. And I don't think they would dismiss the attacks because of my views on this matter, but it's just, it's silly. It's, uh, you know, find a charge uh, around that, and and see if it sticks but i you know focus group but i think what you'll find is most ontarians don't care if he's got a binder and uh it, having a binder does is not like indicative mm. of a great lawlessness right it's just it's it's not your best case scenario is you're going to appeal to people who are already voting for you right and that's not what these games are about the election is not a time to just appeal to people who already like you or already dislike the other guy. It's about finding the swing voters, the people who aren't sure where to go and grab them. And that didn't win a single swing voter. No one thought, oh, that's my issue. You know what? I was really pissed off about how many binders they were using. That was too many binders. Too many binders. Wasn't Corey, even I, one uh, filled with women. Very upsetting. <laughs> nice. That's, that's a new reference. No, yeah, yeah, no 2012 reference. Let's, uh, let's, let's keep it current. Decade old reference. That's nicely done, Carter. <laughs> um, hey, Corey, um, before we get into specifics of Ford, talk to me about the strategy of preparing a leader. Uh, and, and as I ask it, I suspect you may not have been in this situation, uh, who you know is ahead and is going to be ganged up on. Um, who, who you know is... It's dark. Uh, yeah, it is, it, is, it is a little dark. I should have asked Carter this. God damn it. Um, <laughs> but you know, for example, if you're Team Ford, that most of the shots, despite the progressive infighting between the liberals and the, and the NDP which he may have measured as either momentary or and he would have hoped would have taken longer than shorter. But you know you're going to get ganged up, but everything's going to come back to you. How do you prepare for a gang-up style debate where everything's about you? Is there, is there anything special in your preparation, your yeah. storytelling, your pivoting that you, they need to think about? You starve it of oxygen. You don't afford the dramatic moments. You don't give them the two people yelling at each other. You allow it at most to be one person who's yelling and the other person who just looks calm and like, oh. You know, and I think that Doug Ford did a pretty good job of that today. Again, there were a couple of moments where his cool kind of snapped around healthcare, but just in the most marginal sense. Uh, generally speaking, he he uh, he did what you would recommend a leader do in that point, which is not create a moment that could then live on besides the debate. In fact, if there's conversation about the debate, I think it'll be about kind of crosstalk and scrambling angry attacks. But I. It's going to be meta-analysis. It's not going to be about the nature and substance of the attacks because they were too varied and they were too over the map and the targets were too unclear. And Stephen made a point earlier about uh, Del Duca not, or I guess it was Horvath, not being clear who she was attacking. Del Duca also, I think you could argue the same. You need to stay on target for these things because um, it's easy to get lost on the way there. And, And, you know, Doug Ford... I don't want to be misunderstood. It's not as though I thought he was a great genius on stage. And if you listen to the substance of his words, they were, I mean, he contradicted himself about jobs literally in the same answer that he Mm -hmm, gave. mm -hmm. He talked about 
300,000 and 500,000 in different directions at the same time. It didn't make any bloody sense at all. But he said it calm and he said it not looking too perturbed by everything that was going on around him. And if you watched that debate on mute, you you would be pretty sure he won. And if you watched it with the volume on and you just didn't speak a lick of English, you would be 100% sure that he won. Just the tone and the way he carried himself and all of mm. those things. Uh, which is not to say that he had the best ideas out there, but he probably had the best presentation of his ideas out there. Carter, is that frustrating to you from someone who, you know, and, and I know we we talk largely strategy here and not much policy, but as someone who cares for policy, who's passionate about certain issues, does that frustrate you that, that at the end of the day, presentation is still king? Or are you just like accepting it and you're like, this is what it is, you know? That Ford can win while contradicting himself in a statement with the less intellectualized or perhaps well thought out answer over people who obsessed over this education system, for example, let's choose education, and he could still he could still come out ahead. Like, does that frustrate you, or, or do you are you just one of those folks that's like, learn the game, folks? That's what it is. Listen, if the voters wanted to make it harder on us, they should make it harder on us. The the voters should <laughs> ask for a higher level. The voters should be trying to reach, you know, Nenshi style debating every time where he comes up and he knows everything and he's able to put it into to really good sound bites and he's able sure. to pound it. You know, that's that's the level, frankly, that, that we should all be demanding. But most voters didn't watch the debate tonight. Most voters will go, you know, like uh, I was reflecting on we were looking at some of the stats when we put together. Uh, the Gondek, uh, you know, the the award winning presentation that I won in Nashville a couple of weeks ago. Did I mention that I won an award? International in award. International. An international yeah. award. Thank but you. But the statistics were unbelievable because at the end, the the, the website visits on the last day was like ninety thousand visits. Right, ninety thousand people visited the website on the last day. If you added up all of our website visits, we don't have enough people visiting the website. Like we have fewer visits to our website than we had uh, voters. So people aren't getting the full information. They've chosen to, to remain less engaged. They've chosen to take one fact and make their decisions. So if they're choosing that, then my job isn't to force them to make a different choice. My job is to recognize that choice mm. and then give them the one fact that they need. That is a, you know, oh, how dare you say, is that, is say that's what you, is that what people mean by meeting voters where they are? Is exactly. That is... <laughs> That's what it is, because where the voter is, is understanding one thing that makes them tilt to your voter. Uh, no, that's not everybody. There's hyper engaged voters for sure. But the less engaged are the ones that make the decision. Corey, you wanted to, you wanted to comment on this. I'll let you get in. Yeah. Uh, you asked, is it frustrating to see a debate where it's not yeah. really about policy? Um, look, I don't think anybody comes out of that giving their best policy game forward there. I was saying on Twitter, and I sort of mean it, like I would love to see a debate format almost where after each round, a panel of experts comes out and explains exactly how every single fucking answer given by every single party leader was either overly simplistic or total bullshit. And they were all guilty of it. You know, mm. this was, I, I have realized that I just sort of dislike debates. My wife makes fun of me all of the time because every time there's a debate on afterwards, I'm like, that was fucking terrible. I hated that. And she says, you say that every year, every time. And she might be right. But it's because the, the format is really, it's not about the conveyance of information. It's not about the conveyance of communications messages, even. It is really just about uh, the most engaged people in a, in a conversation coming together and, and trying to score who won and who lost. And then the meta conversation that sort of spills out of it. It's very annoying. These entire things are very annoying, but 
it's not as though, it, oh, this is so tragic, but for Doug Ford, this would be a brilliant conversation about policy. No, I mean, mm. the smooth, the smoothing over of every single issue by every single party into like the blandest, plainest terms was, was unignorable. And uh, that's how debates are going to be forever, unless unless we unless we ask for a change. And I I actually don't see people clamoring for a change here. Carter, no. would you would you ever propose? Uh, let's just use this for a second to jump on. Is there is, I, 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 through all the campaigns you've been through, through all the leaderships you've been in, uh, is there a format you've liked the most? It, it doesn't have to be a debate format. Is there a format of conversation, idea generation? oxygenating the ideas that you've you've liked that you feel like can both do that what i'm saying while simultaneously do what you said earlier which is meet the voter where they are have you found a more healthier or useful form of bringing these ideas forward um in in your time that you'd like to experiment with what i'd love to do and i haven't seen any of this but what i think we should do with debate formats is we should do um, so that's like, there's three leaders or four leaders up there. Yeah. Everybody gets yeah. 15 seconds or 20 seconds. So we're going to talk about education. Now you've got 15 seconds, do your soundbite. Okay. And then the next round is you got 90 seconds. And then the third round on the same topic is you've got three minutes yourself. Don't repeat yourself. And that's the task. <laughs> you have to have three fucking minutes of thoughts, original thoughts on the topic. That would fucking kill politicians because politicians don't have three, mm. you know, three minutes of non-repeated thoughts. And you know what? When you got your three minutes, you get your three minutes and we will leave your mic live even if you finish early. <laughs> <laughs> right. And no one else's mic goes on. And and that's how the debate would be run. So here's your 15 second soundbite. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Doug Ford's good at that. Here's your, you know, 90, you know, your your 40, 30 second, whatever. A more detailed explanation, but then I want to hear the three minutes because those three minutes are actually going to matter. And that's where I think most politicians would fail is in the three minutes. Uh, please explain to us the, you know, the electricity system and what's wrong with the power generation model that we have in the province of Alberta in comparison to the power generation model that we have in Ontario. Thank you very much. Let's hear it. Cause I'll tell you something. Most of them would fucking die. <laughs> Corey, I want you to comment on Carter's dream debate scenario. Uh, yeah, that's interesting. I, I, Carter, I appreciate you just yes ending me and just giving me something because that is I do find that interesting. Corey, uh, I'm giving you the easier job to react to that, but, but do give that, me a reaction. Yeah, Carter is underestimating politicians' ability to fill time and fill. say absolutely nothing for for three minutes at a time. So you would actually need but to hold people them would to be account. able to judge that. They'd be able to judge that. Well, they, it, they would be, it would nothing, be pretty amazing. Nothing. It would be pretty amazing that I, I, I can almost imagine that it's like at the same time on the left side of the screen, it's actually showing you a transcript of what they're saying. So you can be like, <laughs> oh, that would be so good. <laughs> They've literally said nothing for, for 30 seconds now. That would be kind of fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. That would be an interesting format. I would enjoy that format. But, can I, can you I know, ask you? Um, sure. Oh, go ahead, Corey. Well, uh, I was just, if you've got a comment there. Well, I'll only that... This was interesting to me because it's not as though I even found the 15 second sound bites. Not that they got those very often because people kept talking over each other, but they, they were, they were pretty basic. Like, I think this might've been the most cliche laden debate I've seen in a while. I, I mean, there was a certain point there where, uh, Schreiner and Schreiner was the worst for this, by the way, Mike Schreiner seemed like a nice guy, seemed affable, mm -hmm. seemed to actually care about the issues. Also seemed like he had the acting chops of the owner's kid in a locally produced RV commercial. <laughs> 
Like just, just <laughs> not a lot going on there. The overdramatic pauses, the word salad that oh, came out at some so time. Carter and I texted each other Pe- at the same time when he said, care, people, people. first. <laughs> like, like yeah, what the fuck what is that? that? Are, like, He's talking about new solutions to old problems and investing in people. Like these are just the most tired things ever. Oh, God. Uh, you know, Del Duke is saying you got to show up for a job if you want to keep it. I mean, it, that's not even the best version of that because the best version was from the, what, the 11 election federally, where it was, you don't ask for a promotion if you're not showing up for work, right? Yeah. Uh, right, Ford is already the premier. Um, and don't get me started on the value of question period or lack thereof. But yeah, it, it was like, um, we're talking about, wouldn't it be great if we could elevate it to three minutes? I, I would... I would take a competent 15 seconds, which I think I was robbed of with this but debate. I, but I think that that's also the point, right? Like, <laughs> you know, some people will watch those 15s and be like, oh, I got what I need. And then the 90s, and it doesn't need to be, you know, maybe even just a 90 second follow up, right? Without people jumping on each other. I don't understand where we thought that the jumping on each other made for better television. It doesn't. I mean, are we watching Big Brother? Is this what we're trying to watch? Like, even. Big Brother's got better better editing. Like, come on. This is bullshit. Carter, have politicians gotten better or worse in your mind in filling time? It, it, well, I'm, cur- I'm curious if, it, <laughs> or if it's just the same. They're, 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 to- they've always been this way. Because every what used to happen was the town hall. And the town hall was brutal. And, and someone would ask a question about whatever. And the person at the front of the town hall would just, you know, blather on for a minute and a half and say, I hope that answered your question and go to the next guy. <laughs> you know, never did. Never, <laughs> never answered did. the question. Yeah. No. Corey, I want to talk about a topic that um, it's going to have ramifications. It's certainly going to have ramifications for Ontario, but this will have ramifications for the Alberta election as well, which is COVID. So COVID was brought up quite often. And when you look at Doug Ford's like historic lows, or at least the, the lows of the last year or two years, they happened during the peak of Ford shutting down playgrounds, looking like he had no idea what he was doing with COVID, zigging and zagging. Uh, but now with the grace of time, with the grace of forgiveness and people moving on, COVID itself, people are, are kind of powering through. It's not the top rated issue. It's moved significantly lower in the rankings. How do you strategize COVID as an opposition party? How do you ensure that that emotional nugget that people felt frustration with their premier his cluelessness, his aimlessness um, can be packaged up and redistributed in May and June of 2022, not January of 2021. What do you think, Corey? Well, so packaged up is exactly the phrase here. Um, There's a basic truism in politics, I think is fair to say. I I suspect Stephen would agree with me here, which is you're always trying to tell a story, right? And maybe a year ago, COVID would have been the story. But if it's no longer the story, then you've got to think about how it becomes a proof point in the story. If you're going to use it at all, or you just let it go, you move on, you pick the next thing to talk about here. And so if you want to talk about, like, again, this is where like attacks are confusing. And I'm not really sure they knew what they were driving towards. Because when Del Duke is talking about, you didn't allow people to go to playgrounds for shame, sir, is the attack on Ford that he is, that he hates freedom? Like, is that where we think this is going? Like, what the fuck is so this? So bad. Yeah. yeah, I yeah. Mean, it, it doesn't actually seem to build up into a case about the man that might change votes. Again, it's one of those things. It's something, you know, people didn't like and you want to hit him with it, but you haven't thought about what this actually tells about his candidacy or yours. 
But and so you've got to the... ladder these things up. You've got to ladder these things up to bigger points if they're not the point themselves. So yeah. Carter Corey saying you kind of you kind of use this as a proof point. How, how would you have suggested the opposition leaders, NDP and liberals here, just to be clear, uh, would have waged and and used COVID and the emotional sort of resonance that that had to the population at that time? Now, like, how would you bottle that up and deploy it now, Carter? Well, I think that first of all, always project forward, right? And they, the, the, when we're when we're dealing with issues, we can deal with the micro, we can deal with the macro, or we can deal with the process. So let's go through what those mean, mm. right? So the process is the way that you did things, right? The process was broken, and we tend to do that when we agree on the issue, right? The issue is COVID bad. We all agree COVID bad. So the process would be something that we did. Like now, you fucked way, up the process step yeah. forward. Like, yeah. And the micro is you didn't let our kids go to the playground, right? Okay, that's interesting. I would have gone for the macro, which is in, in every government's term, something comes and challenges them. And it's never the thing that we think it's going to be. And so for the people who are electing us the, on June the 2nd, they are electing a government that will have to deal with an unforeseen, unknown challenge. And Doug Ford was presented with his unforeseen, unknown challenge, and he failed at a macro level. He had more people die in the province of Alberta per capita than any other province in Canada. And now he is uh, trying Ontario. to go. Did I say on? Yeah, you said Alberta, but keep going. Yeah, okay. Well, you know, I live in Alberta. What do you want? This is a good, it was a good spiel. But I'm sorry, Carter. And this is why he's not suited to be the, the premier. Not because it's going to be the same problem. I mean, even look at the way he's, you know, he's addressing more people in ORs. He's solving the last problem. What's the next problem? Because we can't count on him to solve that problem. You know, and then throw in something like climate change, you know, tr real emergencies that are happening today that we know he doesn't have the skills and capacity to deal with. Macro, micro, process. Uh, Corey, I want to come to you on this to, to react to what Carter said in, in his framework. Carter, but before I do, Carter, explain to me just so I can understand the difference between process and macro here. Macro is the whole issue. Okay. Right? So the process is how you got to that issue, right? The process is you needed to, you needed to listen to your scientific, what did they keep calling it? The scientific technical panel uh. or something like that? The, yeah, the, the, um, you know, the, the table, whatever. I forget. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But that group needed to be listened to, right? Or um, the pro they went after process a couple of times with, you know, the, the scientists were recommending X and you should have gone and you did Y. Um, the micro is the, you know, the going to the playground. The macro is the whole fucking issue. The issue was wrong. That issue was projecting. Now we can project our response to that macro issue forward to the next one. Corey, I'll, I'll, I'll frame it slightly differently for you, but react to what Carter said. And if you were giving advice to the Alberta NDP here, for example, who are going to have to do a similar version of that against Jason Kenney, bottle up that emotional truth that people felt and deploy it at a time where its salience or perhaps its uh, priority in the public's mind might be less than it was. What advice would you have for them, especially in line with Carter's framework that you're hearing, too? Yeah, well, uh, so I really like that framework. I've never heard you use that before, Carter, but I'm for sure going to steal it and pretend I came up with it and, and just oh, say thanks, that you man. stole it from me. Um, yeah, no worries. It's, That's good. It's, and it's a great example of laddering up an issue and taking a small issue and making a bigger point. I'm still not entirely convinced that's the big point that, that's going to save the day for them. Uh, a lot of people have noted that affordability was really the, the mm -hmm. secret theme of this. It was so funny watching this debate. Because the way they shoehorned affordability of housing into all of these various answers, 
what it, like if there was a drinking game i i would not be able to record tonight horvath managed to turn knee surgery into a conversation about housing schreiner turned COVID 19 into housing ford turned education into learning how to look at a mortgage into housing i mean just really fucking wild shit here uh because they can all read the polls and they can all see affordability is super high they can all see the idea of, of affordability of housing in particular has become a major pain point in ontario and maybe there's a way to take some of those micro issues and even the the matter around the playground and tell that story and i haven't I, it's, mm. it's let's call it half-baked at this point but what if you said, like, let's take that binder thing too. Let's take all this fucking shit off the shelf here. The man can't pivot. He can't capture an issue. He can't lead. He is constantly reacting and he's reacting too slow. So just as mm. he decided that he needed to shut down, um, you know, playgrounds with knowledge that was a year out of date, he is reacting to a housing crisis with information that's a decade out of date. You can't have oh, the good. slowest man in the school, you know, running the show here. And so- I, I, so maybe that's the story you need to tell. And maybe that's how those things ladder up in the context of Ontario. Well, he's, on he, he's doing a proof point, right? COVID reactions is your proof point. Everybody agrees it was bad. And now he's projecting forward on whatever the issue is of the day. If we couldn't trust him to do COVID, how can we trust him to do housing? Right? He doesn't understand what needs to actually happen. We need a new government because we are in crisis, period. And we will constantly be in crisis as long as Doug Ford is the leader. Ah, I and, like that. And, good guess, in, Andy. In that, this yeah, is good. See, but in that, in that work, case, we could work do you, together, you know. Yeah. Do you have well, to show no, your I've tried that. I don't. <laughs> yeah, you we've don't, all tried what? that. Uh, Hurtful. We, lo we love you, Carter. Um, <laughs> do you have to show? No, I, it's, I, I'm pausing because I like where you're going. I'm just trying to think of it from the practicality perspective. Do you have to show as someone waging that charge against a Doug Ford that you could be that crisis commander, Corey, that you could be that person that like, do you have to introduce your own leveled up proof points or is it just about nailing the issue to the other guy in, in a way that, that appeals to the moment? Like I, I, I might be asking for someone to do too much, but I'm curious where the other side of, and by the way, I am that crisis leader comes in, so to speak. Yeah. So, I mean, the one hour mark, good to talk about the ballot question. But, you know, this your point is a good one, because if it's a total heads up election, all you need to do is knock down the other guy or gal. Yeah. Right. Yeah. If it is not a heads up election, you've got to make it clear that you are the answer to the ballot question and not or the best answer to the ballot question relative to the other options people may have. So an example where it would go seriously off the rails for you is if your polling showed that everybody trusts the NDP on housing affordability. Nobody trusts the liberals on housing affordability. And you spent all of your time beating the tar out of uh, Doug Ford on housing affordability. All you're doing is siphoning votes to Andrea Horvath to the other in that situation, yeah. right? So a lot of this is really dependent on the information. And the reason, I, I, I'm not even saying that the affordability is the issue. I'm just noting that they seem to think it's the issue based on the way they keep trying to pull people back to it. And if that's the case, then there are ways to tell that story using the other pieces that are out there without feeling so scattered and without feeling like you don't actually have a way to tell a cohesive story here. And storytelling is like the challenge in politics. Carter says this. I say this. This is you know, every presentation is a story. Every campaign is a story. This is something that I think that there are lessons to be learned, but uh, but I, we just don't have enough information to say definitively what these people should do in this case. Carter, I want to talk about the final thing I do in, on most debate-related episodes, which is um, post-game. 
Uh, Monday night quarterbacking for each of these teams. Let's do this quickly. Del Duca, what are you doing today? What message are you putting out from that debate? Is there anything you're clipping? And we'll do the same I, with Horvath I mean, and Ford. He, he's got to say, uh, I'm the only person who was actually out there trying to um, show exactly how we would make the lives of families better in Ontario. Um, and, and he's got to just try and take that. I don't think it matters, but I think that the last two weeks or three weeks of the campaign here, uh, I can remember, yeah, I guess it's probably closer to two. Um, I'd be making sure that I was doing a lot of events that really showcased the commitments um, and showcased him as a leader. Cause you know, hit, what did not come through is that this is a man that could be prime minister or I'm sorry, premier. And the only way that we can get him to the place where he can be the premier is if he actually um, starts to behave as one. And I would, I would change up his body person. I would make sure there's a new body on him that is, you know, understands what his body language is saying and uh, corrects between events. Corey, Del Duca, what do you think? Yeah, so I got the sense from the debate, I know what he's going to clip, which is things like the the attacks where he was trying to throw out, like you you didn't show up 82% of the time for question period. Again, the job's mm-hmm. not question period. Um. Maybe I'll just detour here for a minute to say that would be a mistake because you've got another person on the stage who's been there longer than you, who has shown up more than you, and that's Andrea Horvath. <laughs> she could easily say, you know me. I've fought for you since 2004 as an MPP. I've been NDP leader since 2009. I always show up for you. So if you want to make the election about showing up, she's the better answer, right? Mm-hmm. Especially when you consider the liberal record that he's trying to run from, uh, from the from the wind government. I also think that he's going to be trying to clip things on education and, you know, the concerns that he has with his own kids. I think that's a bit of a mistake, too. What he should be clipping on, though, in my opinion, is anything that suggests that Doug Ford does not have command of the issue that actually matters to people. Right. So I would be clipping it to make it look like I was much more focused and disciplined than I actually was. I would clip everything where you tell them to account on housing every time you tied it back to housing. And I would make sure there was kind of a steady, consistent presentation by yourself in those clips as well. So mm. for me, it's less about what and it's how much he should be clipping. Carter, what do you think about Horvath? What does she, what does she need to do post-game to, to round out, uh, you know, uh, and um, make the best of what she did on that stage? I imagine that there's going to be a lot of work for her in the future. Um, you know, she's got to plan her resignation as, as NDP leader. Um, <laughs> that's going to take some work. Uh, yeah. Good yeah. point. Yeah. I mean, and, and then she's got to think, you know, how do I go out with a bang? That's um, not like the little pop that she did with, uh, with the debate today. I mean, she, she fucked up pretty hard and I don't think that there's much upside for her. Um, the only good news for her is that Del Duca didn't have an opportunity to take advantage of it. And the people, the good people of Ontario may see it differently. Um, if you're looking for someone to vote for, that's not Ford. I don't know how you choose between those two lesser lights. Corey, give me your take on Horvath. What does she need to do from after tonight? Well, uh, so listen, I thought the start of the debate for her was pretty rocky. She came in very aggressively she there was she was as much guilty of the crosstalk as anybody in the first bit but she got her footing and i i think ultimately i she came to the conclusion she was not helping herself and so she found a much steadier tone and a a much uh, more pointed without 
getting without mismatching the tone that she needed to hit at presentation of her facts in the second half. So I do think she's got things she can clip on. She, um, she just needs to find the clips that make her look the most, I think, premier like, and, mm. uh, and for her, perhaps Good luck with that. Well, perhaps in this environment for her, it's you, you've decided, or you've put your chips into, we're all going to try to tear down Doug Ford. And I'm just hoping I'm the option people come to. I don't know. I I have a little bit more difficulty understanding where she's going to go with this one, to be honest. Corey, it's going to go straight to her resignation. Corey, can I stick with you on this? <laughs> what is Ford doing tonight? Uh, I don't know. Celebrating. I, I think he got through this debate in just fine shape. And if you can imagine an overall strategy of keeping people disinterested in it, something that was so unwatchable, I guarantee you they lost a quarter of their viewers before they hit the 30 minute mark um that's that's great that's totally on strategy for you and if the analysis coming out of it is even mixed to the point of was this a good performance by the others did they not do what they needed to do no knockout blow all of those things that you can anticipate coming out of a debate like this you've won because you're leading and as long as the situation remains unchanged you will be premier with a majority government in not too much time carter ford your thoughts hookers and blow baby hookers and blow Jesus Christ. Okay. Well, <laughs> that's the choice. Yeah. Let's move it on to our over under our lightning round, Carter. We do it for you, and we always give you second chances. Stephen Carter, your your one sentence of advice to each of these leaders. We're going to start with you, and we're going to start with Doug Ford. Going forward, going forward, what do you need to give uh, Doug Ford? What is your one sentence of political strategy advice to Doug Ford, Carter? Keep doing what you're doing. You're relating to people and you're making the issues simple. Do those two things to the end. Corey, your one sentence of political strategy advice to Doug Ford is? They hate you, Doug. I mean, your opponents, not the people of Ontario. So you just keep doing you because whenever you do something that just irritates them, they turn it into an attempted soundbite and it's doing nothing but you favors. So just keep being you. Del Duca, one sentence. Corey, what are you giving them for strategic advice? I, I, I don't know. Uh, I think you've got to take a breath. You've got to decide who you want to be in this campaign. You've got to test to see if that has any kind of resonance with the people of Ontario, and you've got to stick to it. The fact that you were leading in searches after the debate, I know could be one of those metrics where you get feeling very good about it. But the reality is you were the most unknown candidate. You are a cipher to these people. And what you presented to them today was confused. And you need to get a much clearer image in voters' heads as to what it means to vote for Stephen Del Duca. Carter, Stephen Del Duca's one sentence of political strategy authored by you is? I'm going to steal Corey's line from earlier. You need three issues and one personality for the rest of the campaign. (laughs) People need to know who you are and they need to know what you care about. And you need to be much more clear. Less certainly seems to be more. Andrea Horvath, Stephen Carter. Her one, your one-sentence strategy for her that does not involve a resignation letter. Carter, go. Uh, get a slab cake. People like slab cakes, and you can <laughs> you can have them decorated in different ways. Uh, Corey, I, he's wrong. Get cupcakes. You can send cupcakes oh, home no. with people. So much more expensive. That, so no, no, much no, more expensive. Do a slab cake. The and end, then it's the NDP. Like they, they don't have this kind of money. Home. At least a cupcake. No, you're comes supposed in to eat the cake with people. Well, you're eating the cake, you're also going to show up at an NDP event, Steve, and be serious. Oh, be when serious. they leave, they always show up. When they leave, yeah. they always show up. <laughs> Our final question: We're gonna we're gonna dip a bit into Alberta 
for some prediction time, Carter. You know, we do oh. record our live episode at the Maharaja Banquet Hall on Thursday the 19th. The question I have for you, Stephen Carter, is do you think the UCP leadership results come out before Wednesday evening? Do we get them before the Wednesday evening when they're officially supposed to come out? Uh, this is our, our foray, our dip into Alberta politics, a teaser, if you will. But Stephen Carter, prediction time, yes or no? Do we get the UCP re- leadership results before they're officially due Wednesday evening? No, we get them Thursday morning. What a twist. Bold. What a twist. Corey, do we get them early? Do these leak? Do these come out? Do these strategically find their way to the ears and the eyes of Albertans prior to Wednesday evening? Yes or no? I don't believe so. Um, I think we will find out when we find out. Find out when we find out, and we'll talk about that finding out the Maharaja Banquet Hall in Edmonton on Thursday. And that's a wrap on episode 990 of The Strategist. My name is Zane Velji. With me, as always, Corey Hogan, Stephen Carter, and we'll see you next time. Well, hey there. Have you been wondering why we seem to be skipping every second episode number of The Strategists? Well, I know that would actually be very on brand for us to do just that. But no, you are actually missing episodes if you're not a Patreon subscriber to the pod. Get access to our Thursday night recordings, special episodes, access to our Discord server, plus much more of our back catalog by becoming a Patreon subscriber at strategistpatreon.com for as little as $6 a month. You can also become a $10 a month subscriber for the live video feed of recordings, which does allow you to pass judgment on what we wear and how we live. $20 gets you periodic access to AMAs, and for $1,500 a month, we'll let you sit on stage with us at the live shows. There is a live show upcoming, I am just saying. And yes, we do know that last one is a bit of a leap in terms of price points, but it does make $20 seem a lot more reasonable, doesn't it? Anyhow, strategistpatreon.com, as little as $6 a month, you know what to do.